Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Happy New Year to you and yours. Hope you have a great one. Hope you win more games than Arsenal in 2018. Or, I suppose I hope Arsenal win more games than they're doing at the moment. Or anyone else. That would be good. I've been sitting here for a while wondering how I'm going to start this particular podcast. What it is I'm going to talk about. What it is I'm going to say. How I'm going to say it. I was pondering things, you know, it's not easy at the moment. And I ended up just spending about five minutes playing with the effects on the uh, mixing desk, making silly noises and then putting the echo on them like this. Hello. 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 I don't know if that says a lot about me. I don't know if it says a lot about Arsenal. I don't know if it says a lot about football in general, perhaps all three, but I spent far too much time doing that. And after a while, I went, what, what are you doing? I kind of got lost in my own little world, just making noises and things. I'm not sure if it's healthy or not, but, you know, it's fairly harmless, all things considered. And we do have a podcast for you today. This is a podcast. You're listening to this podcast through your podcast app or on our podcast page with your podcast device, whatever that might be. A phone or a tablet or a computer or I guess at some point there's going to be like podcast hipsters, right? People who will release their podcasts on vinyl, just limited edition vinyl. You've got to pay 200 euros for each episode, but you know, it's out there. People love the vinyl these days. We won't be doing that. Don't worry. Uh, but we do have a podcast. We've got a show. Uh, we've got uh, talking and a bit more talking and some listening and some answering and questions and all that kind of stuff. Because it has been a strange week. It's been a strange old week, of course. New Year's Eve, we played West Brom. Wednesday night, we played Chelsea. 
We've had all this kerfuffle, all this brouhaha over penalties and referees and arson Wenger and FA charges and injustice and unhappiness and ire and all those kind of things. And the football has been weird. West Brom was obviously really disappointing. Chelsea, you go ahead, you think, come on. Come on, Arsenal, you're ahead now. Just just don't do anything stupid or don't let anything stupid be done to you. I know that last part is a bit out of our hands, but Chelsea got a penalty. They score the penalty. Then they go ahead and then we get a goal in injury time and then almost give them a goal straight away. And you're wondering what it is that this football club does to your head and to your heart and to your stomach. Why is it they never, ever seem to learn from any of their mistakes, any of their myriad mistakes? I don't know. Are they capable of learning? Are they just a blank slate? Is it like Groundhog Day for them? We sometimes refer to what's going on as Groundhog Day because it all feels very familiar. But what if this Arsenal team, every time there's a match, it just kind of reverts back to where it was before the match? Their mental state, I guess. All this talk of we must learn from this, we must learn the lessons of this performance, etc. They don't get learned. They don't seem to get learned anyway, or they're not learned well enough. Maybe these guys need a bit of corporal punishment. I know it's been done away with in schools, but come on, did it do any of us any harm getting beaten with canes? getting pulled up by your sideburns, getting smacked around with leather straps? Did that do anybody any harm? Yes, it did. The answer is yes, it did do harm. It did lots of harm to some people, and uh, people who who doled out that corporal punishment often got a bit carried away with themselves. So we don't need to go down that road again. But, you know, the odd whack probably wouldn't really hurt them, would it? Maybe it'd do some good? No, I mean, no, no. That kind of thing is wrong. We should be more evolved than that. We should be able to discipline people. We should be able to teach them without the threat of violence. At the same time, though, you know, just... I don't know. Maybe I'm just running out of ideas. Maybe Arsene Wenger is running out of ideas as well. Defensively, you know, there's a lot to be desired about the way that we set up and the way that we play and the way that we remain so generous towards the opposition. That said, we did score some good goals on uh, Wednesday night against uh, Chelsea. Jack Wilshere getting his first goal for... Oh, actually, no. He scored in the, the game against uh, Bate Borisov, didn't he? So, yeah, not his first goal for ages, but his first Premier League goal for Arsenal for ages and ages. Great strike beating Courtois at the near post and Hector Bellerin uh, grabbing an equaliser late on. But... When you think about the chances that uh, Alvaro Morata had in that game, oof, blimey, I think, and I know that we as football fans are prone to exaggeration. You know the way you might hear somebody say, oh, my granny's a better player than him and she's been dead for 15 years, blah, 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 blah. that kind of thing. I do think, though, if you gave like most of us at least one of those chances during the game, we, we would have scored one. Morata, thankfully, turned into a hybrid of Yaya Sonogo, Cabadiawara, and Gervinho. It'd be a really strange hybrid player if you put them all together. It'd be a, a Gervawaranogo. That's what he was. That's what, uh, that's what Morata turned into, Gervawaranogo. And nobody needs that. Certainly Chelsea didn't need it, but we needed it. 
because our defense was such that uh, had he been anything other than that, we probably would have got pounded. But look, we've got lots to talk about. We've also got a uh, an FA Cup game coming up this weekend against Nottingham Forest. So we're going to get uh, a perspective on that from a Nottingham Forest fan a bit later on. But now joining me to discuss Chelsea and all the other bits and pieces, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show former sports editor of France 24, Dan Levy. Hi, Dan. Hi, how you doing? I'm all right. Um, which is not something you could say perhaps about Arsene Wenger given the week that he's had he seems a bit crotchety not been a goodly week no it has not been a goodly week for Arsene Wenger Uh, we might come to him in a couple of moments time but let's start with what happened uh, against Chelsea on Wednesday it was one of those weird games where you looked at it and felt like we really deserved something from the game there might have been a sense of injustice about the penalty then they score another goal and you're thinking wow we're going to get nothing from it you get a you get a, a late equaliser from Hector Bellerin. It felt like we deserved a point, but given the way that Arsenal defended, not not much more than that. And really, it could have been it could have been worse had the finishing from Chelsea been better. Yeah, I think it was one of those weird games where, like, I, I was at the game and I kind of came away from it feeling disappointed and frustrated. Um, and I think I tweeted sort of when we went a goal up. You know, you can't say that Arsenal don't deserve the lead here. But actually, looking back, without my sort of slightly biased Arsenal head on. I think actually, really, we were quite lucky to probably to, to not lose it. Um, mm. Obviously, because of the late goal, but also just because of the profligacy of uh, of, of Morata. You know, he, he actually missed sort of four really, really guilt-edged chances. Yeah. Having said that, you know, Alexander Lacazette had had some really good opportunities that were all saved by Courtois. There was that one that came off the post as well from Sanchez, which was another brilliant save. And it, it's just one of those weird games. And this, I think it seems to happen a, a lot with Arsenal where you feel like it actually could have gone either way you know, win, lose or draw. And, and, and all of those would have kind of made sense. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's that weird thing where you feel like Arsenal are playing well, but what that really means is they're playing well going forward. But in defence, you, you know, you can't argue that we've been playing well at all recently and, and certainly haven't against the big clubs this season. Yeah, I mean, there's some mitigation, I guess, when it comes to the Chelsea game because he didn't have Monreal, he didn't have Koscielny, mm. he didn't have Kolasinac. So he's using, you know, Chambers and holding guys who haven't played a huge amount in, in the Premier League. But I mean, is there anything more uh, that sums up this current Arsenal side than the fact that we grabbed that fantastic winner or winner, do you hear me? Felt like a winner yeah. almost. Equaliser from Hector Be- uh, Hector Bellerin. A brilliant finish as well. I think nobody should underestimate the quality of that finish. It really was brilliant and, and well-controlled. And 2-2, and given the stage of the game that it was at, you think, okay, that's it. We're we're getting a point from this game no matter what. We've, we've uh, dug ourselves back into it. And from the kickoff, and I don't quite know how this happened because the TV pictures were inconclusive because they sort of cut from, they didn't even show the kickoff, they just cut to Morata going straight through on goal. It's like, how on, how is this happening? How has the team not got enough in them to organize themselves from kickoff, to push Chelsea back into their own half, not to push up and leave all that space in behind them? I think it's the most the most Arsenal thing of all time. The only thing that didn't make it perhaps the most Arsenal thing of all time was the fact that Chelsea failed to score. Yeah, and even that in itself was a, a little bit miraculous. Another save from Czech against Morata and then, you know, Zappa Costa hitting the crossbar. And really, if you if you look at the opportunity, if it's, you know, a few inches lower, the whole narrative of this game, of the end of the game, of Bellerin's goal is transformed. 
Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it is very Arsenal at the moment. And I, I think you have to say it's something about the way we play when we don't have the ball. And I actually, you know, managed to get home in time to see some of the, the coverage after the game, which I don't normally watch because I find it deeply irritating. But I knew I was speaking to you and I wanted to get a sense of how it was being discussed on, on Sky. And, you know, Jamie Carragher made that point of, you know, Arsenal, good with the ball, but without it, there are major problems. And I think that's probably quite fair. And it's been an issue for a long time. And I think I feel like we're kind of dancing around this, the you know, the, the Wenger issue. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's not... Yeah, I mean, let, let's go. I, I, I just just on that point about how good with the ball and not so good without it. I think that's fair. But perhaps down the years, what has set us apart is that we've been much better with the ball in years past. We've been far better as a team. We've been far better in possession. We've been able to dominate and control games, which we no longer really seem to be able to do. And that then only exacerbates those off the ball weaknesses, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about um you know, about Wenger over the years and, you know, stretching back to really to when he began with Arsenal was that, and I've always felt this about Wenger, is that his greatest strengths are often his greatest weaknesses. And so, you know, one of his greatest strengths is his extreme loyalty to his players, but one of his weaknesses is his extreme loyalty to certain players. Mm. Um, you know, his loyalty is what, and also, you know, the, his loyalty combined with the fact that he essentially intends to create an environment where intelligent players can express themselves and play the kind of football they want. That's what allows us to, you know, play the great football that we have played under him and has allowed us to do that. But at the same time, it's what, you know, I think dictates that when things go to pot and when, you know, for example, we've just scored uh, an equaliser in the 92nd minute against Chelsea, there isn't that sort of organisational aspect to our, the way we play that says, OK, you know, this is what you guys do. Like, I'm going to tell you what you need to do in this kind of situation. He yeah. just wants them to know and to figure it out through their own sense of self-expression and their own their own sort of football intelligence. And I think that, again, that's his strength because it, it allowed people like Henri Bergkamp, etc., to create the kind of football that, you know, those teams played. But it also means that when you don't have the best players in the league and when you perhaps don't have players that have the right chemistry or the right, you know, maybe the right kind of level, be it mental, tactical, technical, whatever you know, it, there's not much underneath it to support them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think as well that the, the, the profile of the modern footballer has changed a bit as well, that I think they they kind of want that structure. They want mm. that discipline in their games and the ability to go and express yourself is fantastic, but not all players should be able to express themselves, really. If you've got a brilliant mercurial talent like Mesut Ozil, by all means, let him go out there and express himself. But when you've got two young centre-halves and Mustafi, another one, who's a relatively young centre-half in the life of a centre-half, you don't want those guys playing off the cuff. You want them to be uh, structured and disciplined and organised. And uh, I, I do think, you know, we're falling down in, in that regard. Um, just on the penalty that was awarded... Uh, to Chelsea I, I thought it was really soft uh, we bring up this issue of contact and the idea that contact means it's a foul which means it's a penalty which is an absurd uh, what's the word I'm looking for conclusion to make because there's so much contact all the time in football that if every bit of contact was a foul the game would just be littered with fouls and penalties if we're playing uh, to that particular rule Um at the same time, though, I can kind of see why that one was given. 
it's the kind of penalty that does get given, regardless of what your own personal feelings are um, on the foul and on Hazard's reaction. I think he overreacted and, and made a meal of it, uh, which players are going to do when they get kicked in the box, whether it's uh, a massive kick or just a small one like he got. Um, but Arsene Wenger declared it farcical again. How, how do you, how did you see it? Uh, I, I've, I've really, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, like I used to work at Eurosport, I used to work at France 24, and I sort of, you know, I think part of what you try and do when you're a sports journalist is to try and be as objective as possible, even when it's about your own team. And I, I really tried and have tried over and over to watch that incident and see why people would think it's a penalty. But I just, I just don't really see it. Like I can see why it was given, and I can, I think I can usually see why penalty is given. I could kind of even see why the holding one against West Brom was given. I think it was an error, but I feel like what he saw, Mike Dean saw, was an arm moving, and you saw that after the game, he was kind of moving his arm up around, saying, "Well, this is, this is the motion he made." Mm. I think he misinterpreted that. I think the arm moved in front of him, and I think for whatever reason in his memory, the arm was moving to the side, and that's why he gave it. So I can see why, even though he, I think he clearly got it wrong. With this one, I can kind of see why, but I just don't see how that's a foul. Um, I think it's interesting to talk about contact because contact is, is a factor in whether a foul is given, but it's not the deciding factor. Yeah. And I find it a bit weird that um, you know a lot of the ex-pros constantly say, well, there was contact, you know, because it's not about there being contact. As you said, it's, it's about whether that contact is illicit whether that contact is against the rules and it impedes the other player. And I don't think that the minor contact that was between Bellerin and, and uh, Eden Hazard did that. I don't think it impeded him from playing the ball. And, th- and that really is the defining criterion, right? Um, and there's one other thing I'd add to that is actually there doesn't have to be contact for there to be a foul. If you run up right up to someone, you know, and your foot is flying towards their face mm. and you stop yeah. it two inches on their face, you're impeding them. That's a foul. Yeah. But you didn't, there was no contact. So the idea that contact is the you know the the thing that defines a foul or not is is just an error really. Um, Ar- Arsene Wenger was furious after the game. Um, mm. He was furious, I think, at everything. He was furious at the referee. He was furious at the media. Uh, the media, after a great game of football, only wanted to talk to him about referees because he was he's up on charges uh, because of what he said to Mike Dean. Um, how do you view what what's going on there? I mean, is it just a man in a, a state of high dudgeon who's emotional, who is hitting out uh, because he feels genuinely that there's been an injustice towards him and his team, or is it the is it the distraction thing? Is there a measure of distraction going on when you look at Arsenal at the moment? Two wins from eight games, and that's uh, that's poor form by any standards. Even if only one of those has been a defeat. Um, the the one against uh, Manchester United, it's only two wins from eight, and there's a gap beginning to grow between fifth place and fourth place, and I think we're in sixth at the moment, uh, five points behind Liverpool. So, I don't know, would he be better off just not saying anything at all about referees, or is there, in some ways, if he feels strongly about it, if he feels strongly about the performance of referees and the 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 need for referees to be good and to be as 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 uh, a positive force on the game as they can be, how does he balance that? He he might feel some responsibility to, to talk about that. Yeah, I think that latter part is a is a really good point, and I think he, 
I think he kind of does genuinely think that, you know, because I think this is the first time he's ever sort of made that particular point about the foreign press, the press outside the UK, looking at those kinds of incidents differently and looking at the way that, uh, you know, like the referees are reported on differently and doing it differently. And I I think that's quite interesting because, um, you know, obviously I worked in media abroad and I think that's like there is a you often don't quite get a sense of how like people abroad see English football if you're not there sometimes. Um, and like a good example is like <laughs> outside of England, like English goalkeepers are an absolute laughing stock. Like if you go to France and you just say English goalkeeper, like it's a punchline to them. <laughs> a lot of my <laughs> colleagues and stuff, they just think it's hilarious. And I'm like, well, what about David Seaman? What about Sanso? And they just, they're like, oh, come on. He's an English goalkeeper. He's just rubbish. And like, I didn't realize that at all until I, you know, lived abroad. Um, and I think there's probably something in that, you know, that the, 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 the media here do tend to kind of report the, the way referees perform differently and is he doing that for some altruistic reason to improve the level maybe but he's also probably doing it because it's you know it's affecting his team at the moment or he perceives it as affecting his team at the moment mm-hmm. and you know, i think he's he's probably kind of right about that i think that you know we have been a bit hard done by recently having said that you know as and i think this is something that you pointed out on the blog uh, on the day after the game you know Thierry Henry made a, a real point of, you know, emphasising some of the decisions that have gone Arsenal's way. And, you know, I think I'm very quick to forget those. And I'm sure Arsene Wenger is as well. You know, there have been lots of instances that that have gone Arsenal's way when it comes to refereeing decisions. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think he's doing it deliberately to deflect from the team. But I think it does do that. I think it does deflect from the fact that, you know, the form is really poor. Uh, and, you know... You could argue that he's not setting the team up in the right way or giving equipping them with what they need to deal with games like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's it. You know, the the uh the referee's decisions become more significant in tighter games, right? So if you're four nil up and you get a dodgy penalty awarded against you, it doesn't really make any difference. But when you're one nil up away from home and you've scrapped to get that one goal and then in the final seconds the referee awards a dodgy penalty, that costs you uh, that costs you uh, two points. So it's about being able to manage your own performances as well, I guess. Um, yeah, I do would say, sorry, I don't I don't fully buy into the, this isn't the point you're making, but it's a point a lot of people make. I don't fully buy into the whole thing about, you know, like, you know, it doesn't really matter because, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's happened at a particular time in the game. Like, it's it's just an error either way. And and the idea that, like, we shouldn't, like, we should be aiming to get those decisions right, like, as much as possible. And there's a certain, there's a huge amount of ambiguity and equivocacy to all of those instances, right? And I'm not saying that you know, for example, video reviews is the answer, but like we should be trying to get those decisions right all the time. And but the truth is that as well, if you if it doesn't affect your the, the result you want, you just don't focus on it. And Wenger is only going to remember, you know, really the ones that go against Arsenal, as are most of the fans, you know, as do I. But when you look at it objectively, you know, very often. Like Arsenal have benefited from those kinds of decisions, of course. those kinds of errors, and but I think as well, you know, I I do think he's he genuinely wants the level to improve. I didn't know that he'd been so. He sort of mentioned it this week that he'd been instrumental in you know professionalising uh, referees, but you know I think he he does that for a reason because he wants the game to be he wants the game to be as good as it can be. Like I think something that's quite interesting about Wenger is he comes on after a game like that. I don't think many other managers say. Oh well, it was a great game, you know. That's yeah. the first thing he said after that match last night. Well, it was an amazing game, you know. 
really they're just saying well you know we didn't win or a referee did this and i know that he went on to that but his first instinct was it was a great match you know the the bit that's in brackets there is for the neutral yeah and i think he he really does care about football overall and i think one thing you could level at him is that sometimes he's cared too much about the larger picture that he's cared too much about you know leaving arsenal in a good state going forward or you know sort of whatever morals he he brings to football that you know you shouldn't use money in a certain way or whatever and sometimes that's been to his detriment yeah well look i don't know where it's going to go with this i mean the more uh the more he talks about it the more it's going to be talked about and the more it becomes an issue and obviously we'll see what happens when he uh he responds to the FA charges. He says he's going to contest them. Um, but, you know, there's the possibility of a touchline ban or a stadium ban. I thought, actually, uh, after what had happened last night, he might get banned from the UK, uh, given his reaction to that one. But anyway. It was uh, a bad time for him to, yeah, to do it. He's already on probation, as it were. <laughs> exactly. It's um, not good for his image either, because it makes him look like a very, very bad loser. Which well, is, look, I, I don't, you see. Or drawer. A bad drawer, yeah. But, I mean, look, is, is that not something that we all say, you know, show me a sore loser and I'll show you show you a loser or show, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser is the, yeah, the phrase you know so look I, I've got no problem with managers or players being sore losers at all there's only so far you can be magnanimous to be honest a, a, a top level sport and um you know, not many, not many managers are going to come out and say, uh, "Yeah, we deserve to lose." Um, but I, I guess for the psychology of his own team, he likes to talk of how well they played. You know, we're heading into January, and we've uh, purchased a, a Greek centre half whose name I'm not say, even. Yeah. Go- I'm not even going there. I'm not even going to go there. Um, but for me, in the past, the transfer window has provided an opportunity. It's been like a light at the end of the tunnel where you see how we're going to make improvements. And I look at this Arsenal side now, and it's not that I don't see areas which we can improve in or where we can bring in personnel who might be better. I just worry that it's not really fundamentally an issue of personnel anymore. It was always about whether we would have enough money to spend. As soon as we have enough money to spend, we've we've spent it, we've brought in players, uh, and those players have suffered from the same uh, failings and malaises as, as some of the other players that we've had down the years in perhaps leaner times. I mean, are you confident that this manager can go out and spend money and make a significant difference to his team by doing so? Or... Or is the way that he sets his team out and the way that he manages his team and coaches his team and instructs his players, does it lend itself to what we're seeing now? That maybe if you've got a couple of players of extra quality, you've got the individualism to overcome some of the issues. But, you know, in general, as a team, you're going to have these same problems. Yeah, I mean, I think more the latter. Like, It's funny, isn't it? Because one of the reasons that Arsenal are getting some of the results that they're getting right now uh, because of the quality of the individuals we have. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't feel like if we added an amazing centre-back that we that everything would be fixed. You know, I think there's only so much that can do. It kind of relates a bit back to what we were talking about before. Like, a lot of one of the things that people are talking about a lot at the moment is the quality of the coaching of Pep Guardiola and how it's transforming the, the like, the level of some of the players, uh, you know, um, who are playing with him. People like Sterling, uh, people like John Stones. And I think that that's probably uh, something that you could say about Arsenal is that, you know, over the last few years, for example, a lot of the young players that have come into the side who've looked really promising have kind of plateaued fairly quickly. It's kind of happened to Bellerin in a way, you know, it's happened to Iwobi, 
I think it's happening to it's happened to Chambers already, and you know, holding hasn't necessarily progressed from where he was last season, and that might be because, as you said earlier, these kinds of players need to be told. They need to be, you know, kind of drilled within an inch of their lives sometimes, like in the way that George Graham used to do. And again, like Wenger not being like George Graham was one of his strengths, but not being like him is also one of his weaknesses. I think, you know, if we're going to bring in new players, if they're really good at what they do, sure, they'll make an impact. But will they transform the way Arsenal play? Will they change a a side that's going to struggle to finish top four into a title winning one? I don't really think so because it probably needs to go deeper than that. It probably needs to be about, I think probably now coaching them a different way. You know, I, I, it's really reductive and I think simplistic to just say, well, you know, Wenger can't coach them. It's, it's obviously nonsense. He's mm. coached teams that have won, you know, um, titles, you know, 10 major trophies. Um, but I, I do think that something has to happen in the way Arsenal kind of set up when they don't have the ball and the way they focus on the job at hand when they, for example, have just scored a goal in the 92nd minute against Chelsea or when they're facing adversity, you know? And it's, it, I mean, there aren't any simple answers. It's complex. I know it's it's sort of a bit, it's not particularly helpful to come on and say, well, it's a really nuanced situation and there isn't a clear answer, but it, that's just the reality of it. You know, there, there's a lot of good that's done and there are a lot of players who I think are, like Ozil's a good example, is given freedom to play the right way, but and I'm sure that giving someone like Callum Chambers or Rob Holding confidence that they're good enough players to achieve at this level and they can kind of, you know, say to them like, hey, you go out there and do you. You're going to, you know, you're, you're good enough. Like that is a good thing. But at the same time, you have to balance that with, you know, maybe someone like Steve Bold saying, when you don't have the ball or when your man's, you know, two yards away from you like this, you need to turn your body and step in and do this and that. Yeah. And I think, I think they just, again, I don't know. I'm not there and none of us really, really, really know. But the whispers you hear and the echoes you get are that there's not quite enough of that. Yes, yes. There's, uh, you know, it's one man's vision really on the training ground. It Mm. always has been and always will be, I guess. Uh, Very quickly before we go, uh, the top four is, I guess, the limit of our uh, ambition when it comes to the Premier League this season. I don't think anybody is getting anywhere near uh, (laughs) Manchester City. Uh, Chelsea and United look a little bit too far ahead of us already and there's basically a three-way scrap between ourselves Liverpool and Tottenham for fourth place Um, one other route into the Champions League next season is via the Europa League as well it feels a little bit at the moment like he's not that he's not taking it seriously and the opposition that we have in the first knockout round is such that he can afford to to rest some players but it may become pretty quickly if uh, league results don't pick up the most important part of our season the Europa League because whether we finish 6th or 7th or 10th or whatever the Europa League can get you into the Champions League. You remember Chelsea a few years ago finished, um, I think, 12th uh, in the league and came back the next season and, and won the title. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have we to have that. We should finish 12th is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to have that kind of seismic impact on your next Premier League campaign. But if you want to get into the Champions League, if you want to have that as a carrot to lure towards uh, summer signings, for example, it may be a case that that's something we're going to have to prioritise. I think we should prioritise it anyway. I, I would just love to see us win that competition. The danger with the Europa League is that um, if you don't win it, it's totally pointless, to be honest. <laughs> like, I think if you're a big club, the club with the level of Arsenal, if you don't win it, it's a total waste of time. And I mean, even, OK, you might you might blood some youngsters and, and improve them. But apart from that, you know, 
what, like it, it really is just a drain. Like a good example is Liverpool. Like it, was it 2015 they were in the final? I can't even remember now. 2016 and they lost it and and nobody even remembered. Like a few months later nobody cared. Were they in the it, final in Yeah, they wow. lost to I think it was Sevilla 3-1. Uh, it was 2015 or 2016 and you just like, n- like nobody cares. Nobody cares because they didn't win it. But Man U won it and suddenly it's a route back into the Champions League. It's a, it's a European trophy. And, you know, and then it, it kind of means something. But it really is kind of all or nothing. Um, right, they did. They lost 3-1 to uh, Sevilla. Sevilla, yeah. Wow. Was it 2016? 2016, that's right. You are beautifully proving my point. Wow. I had forgotten all about that. And I, I, think, I, I think I remember watching the game. Because mm. my brother's and, a Liverpool fan, obviously. And I think... Uh, they, yeah, they, yeah, fucking hell, and, yeah, and there you just, go. It kind of doesn't, it's it's sad to say, and it sounds a bit sort of like snobbish, you know, sort of Premier League fan thing to say, but like it, it kind of is a little bit pointless unless you win it. However, if we do win it, I, I would, I would, I think it'd be amazing. It's the kind of the thing I'd like us to win most of the season. You know, I've fully enjoyed the FA Cup wins, but having done those recently and considering how poor our record has been in European finals of late, it'd be great, you know. under I think Wenger's never won a European final. Um, reached mm. one with Monaco which was sort of played in, the, you know, in very sort of sad circumstances after a, a stadium disaster in France um, and then of course you know, lost that painful UEFA Cup final against Galatasaray on penalties oh. which we should have won Yeah. then there's Barcelona Champions League final 2006 and uh, isn't there another one? No There's another one No but we've you know we've only won two we won the 94 Cup Cup final you know in my lifetime we lost the 95 as well Cup yeah. Cup final and there was the first cup, wasn't there? It was in 1970. Yeah. But so, beyond yeah, that, we, you know, yeah, we two don't... European trophies isn't really enough for a club like Arsenal, so why not add to it? Exactly. We don't have a huge uh, European pedigree. So, yeah, I think it would be great to go for it. I've got no issue with it. But, you know, we'll see what happens when the uh, when the opposition starts getting uh, a little bit more serious. But, look, uh, go on. Have you won? I was just going to say, do you think what do you think he'll do if it comes to kind of March, we're in the quarterfinals, we're six? You know, I, I, I wonder if Wenger will start to prioritise the Europa League I think it's something that he struggles to do he, he just can't help himself he'll believe that we can still get into the Champions League somehow yeah I, yeah. I think if you're in the quarterfinals of a European competition and you've got a huge gap or a big or significant gap between yourself and fourth place then I think you have to prioritise and I don't mean that you shouldn't um, try and win every game in the league uh, I think you know perhaps one of the issues that we've had this season has been a lack of momentum in mm. in terms of our results and performances because we've chopped and changed so much our team you know from one week to the next you've got a Premier League team playing once a week when these guys were used to playing three times a week you know playing Champions League football but between the cup competition the Europa League uh, we, we've not been able to get the same kind of momentum so in in one way it could be beneficial that you just you know you get these guys to dig in and play every three four days if that's what it takes um, but I think you, you might have to think, right, okay, we're in the quarterfinals here and we're playing, I don't know who we might be playing, but it might be somebody very beatable. There might be difficult teams along the way where you got to say, okay, well, look, then we're in a semifinal. A semifinal, you're two games away from a final and in a final, you're 90 minutes away from a trophy. And it's, a, it's not the most prestigious trophy, uh, obviously, but it has a great reward at the end of it, doesn't it? You know, that Champions League place, plus you get to celebrate winning a, a European Cup. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea won it, was it the year before they won the Champions League? They won the Europa League, I think. Um, you know, Manchester United, Manchester United have won it this decade as well. 
you know, and as I said, like we haven't won a European trophy since 1994. You know, that regardless of whether, you know, it's not the Champions League, I understand that, but it's still a European trophy that means something. And, uh, you know, we can't be too picky about trophies. At the end of the day, that's kind of what this is all about. Yeah. Getting, yeah. getting trophies, getting, you know, extra dates around that, you know, that ring inside the stadium with the little trophies carved in. You know, we, if we can add to that, then we should absolutely go for it. And I, I do think the added uh, bonus of getting into the Champions League through it makes it even more alluring. So I'd, I'd love to see us go for it. And, and I'd, I'd, if there was anything, you know, any, of the realistic competitions we're going to win this season, I include, include the, Europe, uh, the League Cup, the Europa League is the one I'd like to see us win the most. For sure, for sure. Uh, people who look down their noses at the Europa League won't be uh, doing anything other than celebrating goals if we score them in the final and win that final. So, um, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's something we should go for. I agree with you there. Right, look, we better leave it there, though. Dan, a pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for My your course. time. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to Dan. You can find him on Twitter at DanLevy1. That is at DanLevy1. So do give him a follow. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. So, while league form has been a bit of an issue over the last uh, little while, just two wins from the last eight, we've got to put that on the back burner a bit because we've got two cup games coming up before we play in the Premier League again. Next week, we play in the Carabao Cup semi-final against Chelsea. One of the interesting things about this game is that they're going to use VAR, video-assisted referees or video-assistant referees. Uh, That's going to be in place for both of the semi-finals, not just ours against Chelsea, but also Manchester City, I think against Bristol City. Uh, That's who they're playing. And it'll be interesting, obviously, if there are more contentious issues, how, uh, how that technology helps or doesn't help. Will it satisfy Arsene Wenger if uh, another call goes against him? How will it work? It'll be interesting to see. But that's next week. 
Sunday, we play in the uh, the FA Cup. We go to the city ground to face Nottingham Forest. And with me now to uh, talk about what we might expect from them and the situation that they're in at this moment in time, I'm delighted to welcome to the show Nick Miller. He's a writer uh, for ESPN, for The Guardian, and lots more. Hi, Nick. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Um, would it be fair to say it is turbulent times uh, at Forest, having sacked manager Mark Warburton last week? Or is this just sort of a continuation of genuine or general turbulence uh, at the club for a little while now? Uh, well, it is. But I don't think most Forest fans can remember a time when it wasn't <laughs> turbulent of some, you know, turbulence of some description. The, the problem is that we sort of thought this was all this was all behind us. We, you know, we lost an owner uh, in the summer who had sort of driven the club into the ground, basically, um, who sacked managers at, uh, on a whim, um, seemingly partly through you know complaints on Twitter from uh, disgruntled fans. Really? Uh, yeah, the, he, he was um, the, the old owner of uh, Fawaz Al Hassan. He was on Twitter all the time. He initially he kind of lapped up the. Um, praise from fans who enjoyed him, you know, bringing back Stuart Pearce and yeah. various other things. But uh, he, he seems he took he took that too seriously. And the you know the stories are that he he would um, gauge opinion from people complaining to him on Twitter oh and, my. and base decisions on that. Which, oh my god! <laughs> if he, I mean, Christ, if you can imagine. Uh, imagine Arsenal doing that. I know that's just what's running through my head is the idea that Stan Kroenke on Twitter is somehow being influenced by all the people that <laughs> that are using Twitter. Holy shit, the club would be a mess. Um, yeah, so that, yes, we, 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 yeah, we were taken over in the summer um, uh, by uh, Mr. Maranakis, who uh, owner also owner of Olympiakos, mm. who uh, comes with his own problems and for legal reasons, we probably best dance around those. Okay, um, but. Uh, he was certainly seen as um, someone who knew what he was doing, someone who um, would at least run the run a football club in a proper way, which which we hadn't had for the previous four or five years. And you know, he he in many ways he has he has done that. There have been some very sensible appointments, very kind of sensible noises coming out of the club. Um, they've been very very careful about not sort of speaking in public. And I, I, I can speak from sort of personal experience of trying to get interviews with various people at the club. And they've been very sort of keen to, to, you know, the, the line anyway is that they are, um, keeping quiet for the moment and just trying to be judged on their actions. Um, but the kind of downfall there being that their actions after sacking Mark Warburton are, uh, quite similar to the actions of the, the previous regime. How, how has that decision gone down then with fans? Because Forrest are 14th in the table. Is there an expectation of being higher? What kind of a job was was he doing there? Should he have been given more time? I think he should have been given more time, uh, but I know, th- th- I think the opinion is very split. Um, there was there were certainly kind of f- frustrations about um, his decision making he's he was very wedded to this kind of slow build up from the back uh, style of play mm. um, and you kind of wonder whether the, whether we have the, the kind of right players for that or the right you know, quality of players it's fine doing that if you've got Edison in goal but we have this kid called Jordan Smith in goal who's very very good but you know he's I think he's 21 22 right um, and uh, you know, f- frustrating um, sort of little 
uh, obsessions of his. Like we've got this got this other young player called Ben Burton, who's a, who's a striker. If you've ever seen him, he's you know six foot three and built like a man, even though he's you know eighteen, nineteen. And uh, Warburton consistently played him on the wing. It's little frustrating things like that. The defense is is a big problem, but you could also see what he was trying to do. He was trying to build a team with a kind of a certain style of play and to only give him, you know, he, he was appointed towards the back end of last season, but last, the back end of last season was a salvage job, which he just about did um, to only give him what, four months, mm. five, five months of the, of the, um, of this season is a little bit frustrating, but on the other hand, you do sort of with the kind of more sensible moves that they've made before you do sort of trust them to make um a more sensible decision in replacing him i mean it, the word is that they wanted to replace him quite quickly so by the time people are listening to this this might all kind of be mute be moot because uh they may have appointed a new manager um but uh yeah there are echoes of the uh, problems of the past but um there is a slightly more confidence that they're going to make a better job of uh, getting a replacement. I mean, is that because of the the fact that you know he also owns Olympiacos, and uh, I know that uh, in continental football managers come and go, perhaps with a bit more frequency than we might be used to. But certainly, Olympiacos are a big club, and there's uh, you know there's a lot of experience there. Is that some sort of comfort to the decision making that they're looking at this and saying, okay, well, look, he saved us, but he's not the guy to take us forward? Is it, I guess, dependent on who they bring in? Who who are the names that are being linked? Uh, favorite at the moment, uh, I, well, the time we're recording, the favorite is Ito Karanka, I think. Right. Uh, which I, you know, I, I wouldn't be unhappy with. Um, the, I, I, possibly a slight problem there is that Karanka might be uh, waiting for Mark Hughes to be sacked if you know if that happens. <laughs> um, so if they want him, then they might you know they might have to wait a bit other names uh, Gary Monk which I'm not I, I'm not a, I'm mm. not a particular fan of him uh, Nigel Clough would be obviously a very sentimental appointment he turned um, the job down last season when the previous owner was there basically because he didn't want anything to do with the previous owner which was you know very sensible of him um, it, whether that will be sensible of, of the club to bring him in because he's he's been managing Burton and you know it, it's a bit of a miracle that Burton is still in the division, but they're probably going to go down this season. Yeah. Um, Paul Heckingbottom is an interesting one. He, uh, Barnsley manager, he's done an almost miraculous job there because they, they sort of built this uh, very young team up to come up uh, to come up, come up from League One, and then um, almost all of their good players were sold, and he still managed to keep them in the division. Um, again, he was another one who turned us down last season because of the chaotic uh, nature of the previous regime. Um, and, yeah, the, other than that, there were some, some fairly relatively uninspiring names on the on the lists that are going around, like Gus Poyer and various other people. Right. So, I mean, when it comes to uh, Sunday's game, we're unlikely to see a Forest side that are going to be markedly different from the one that played under Warburton. There's a caretaker manager there, I guess, who's going to take charge of that game. You know, are we going to see a Forest in the the Warburton style on Sunday? Who who are the players that Arsenal should be looking out for? Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that the style would be particularly different. Uh, Gary Brazil, who's been the um, academy manager for uh, the last four or five years, I think, has done a brilliant job there. He's the caretaker manager at the moment. Uh, in terms of the players to look out for, it's a little difficult to tell. 
difficult to tell who Brazil will actually pick. Um, the, one of the key, one of our key players is Ben Osborne, and it's incredibly difficult to predict where he'll play because he's played more or less uh, everywhere on the pitch apart from centre back and right back. Uh, he by trade is a centre mid, sort of attacking centre midfielder. But um, th- and this was another of the frustrations of Warburton in the last in Warburton's last few games. He was playing it on a left back for reasons that no one could quite work out. Um, could those reasons be Armand Traore? Well, <laughs> uh, I'm a Troy. He he may play. The, the, the I believe the the word was that uh, Troy and Warburton had fallen out, which was why Troy wasn't wasn't the team. Right. He's uh, Troy's been uh, last season. He was kind of I, I I can't quite tell whether he was good or whether he was just not as bad as we thought he was going to be. <laughs> because obviously he you know he left he left QPR and there are various stories about his dreadful attitude there yeah. and you know uh, whether he actually <laughs> wanted to be a professional footballer or not um, but he was kind of fine in in a kind of in a pretty bad team um, but at the moment he's the uh, he's one of the well actually I say Danny Fox is our, our other option left back and he's just just only just coming back to fitness so I think Toro probably will play on um, on Sunday which would be good fun for everyone yeah sure um, would. yeah a reunion at last with with yeah. our <laughs> Yeah, what, it, I, I imagine Arsenal fans will be looking on with a sense of what could have been. He's very much the one that got away, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that endears him most to Arsenal fans is the fact that he went to White Hart Lane once with, a, with knuckle dusters. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the thing that he, I think he's, he's most remembered for. Um, Arsenal are going to play, I think, a, a fairly changed team from the one that, that uh, played in midweek against Chelsea. In the cup competitions, Arsene Wenger has rotated and, of course, there's another cup game next week as well against Chelsea in the in the Carabao Cup so I think we're going to see uh, a, a fair mix um, what, what have you made of Arsenal this season um, I presume you watched the game against Chelsea the other night I think it kind of sums us up in a way that there's this uh, these moments of real quality punctuated by moments of almost farce and slapstick when it comes to defending well, I mean, this isn't a new thing to say at all, but almost as soon as Arsenal scored the first goal, there was kind of a sense of inevitability that they were <laughs> going to concede at least one. Um, and what I find most interesting at the moment is Arsene Wenger's kind of, his increasing thing about refereeing decisions. I mean, you know, you're you're a sensible man. Do you think Arsenal are being kind of unfairly... Target is probably the wrong word, but uh, a disproportionate number of unfair and incorrect decisions with regards to penalties. And so. I think there have been a couple, all right, but I don't think it's any vast conspiracy. I think it's really down to the standard of, of refereeing, and I think that's kind of what Wenger's on about more than some weird conspiracy to defraud Arsenal out of points. Uh, you know, I thought the, the comments... Uh, on Wednesday night were quite interesting where he said, look, why aren't we talking about football? All you want to talk about is these charges against me. But, you know, he was very strong against Mike Dean. He obviously said things to Mike Dean um, behind the scenes that have seen those charges leveled at him. He labels another penalty farcical. I think he's got, you know, half a point there when it comes to the the penalty against Chelsea. Um, 
So, you know, it's inevitable. I think he understands, he must understand how the media works and how uh, when you have a, a manager willing to go crazy at officials and create this controversy, that's what's going to happen. But I don't believe there's like a, a, a huge plan to, to make Arsenal lose points. I think Arsenal uh, are, are more than capable of doing that on their own. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. It's interesting that he does. He still have this. I've slightly lost track. Uh, this might be uh, again uh, moot by the time this comes out. But he still got this this uh, FA charge uh, sort of hanging over him. Yeah, but, that's uh, he's got he's got till five o'clock or six o'clock on Friday evening to respond to that. And he said, "Look, uh, you know, I, I stand by what I said a hundred percent. Look at all my media interviews. You know, you can see I've you know I'm thirty five years in the game. I know what I say after after matches, which is a little bit disingenuous as well because the charges, from what I understand, don't come from what he said in the media. They come from what he said when he poked his head around the the referee's door uh, after the game. And I suspect people have this this view of Arsene Wenger of being a you know very erudite, intelligent man, which of course he is. But those who know him well will tell you that he is capable of uh, industrial language that sailors would be proud of as well and I'm pretty sure he let Mike Dean uh, have a, a sample of that I can't you, uh, you know don't spend a huge amount of time around Arsenal so I can't I can't imagine Arsenal Wenger swearing it's like you, you know <laughs> that thing when you hear Arsenal Wenger talking French it sounds it absolutely obviously it absolutely shouldn't be weird but it still sounds weird um but uh, and I, I think I think I'd, I'd find uh, hearing him, you know, using the S and C's quite <laughs> quite strange as well. You he's, know, he's a he's a grown man. He can say, he can use whatever language he's like he likes. But I, I would find it very strange if I heard uh, Wenger tossing around. I, I, yeah, I think there are some accents and and what have you that lend themselves more easily more readily to the f's and c's as you as you put it like it's impossible not to uh, hear alex ferguson say it but yeah. obviously when arsene wenger you know that the the french accent and everything else but yes he is absolutely capable of of throwing those out there you know i i do wonder as well if it is in some ways I think if it was another manager, and I, you know, I, I see his point when it comes to some of the decisions, and I, I think, you know, unless you do talk about uh, refereeing decisions, I think there's a way of talking about them. I think when, when he spoke about um, wanting referees to get better, making referees accountable, I think that's an issue that there isn't enough accountability when it comes to referees. That you know, you can be poor, you can uh, perform poorly as a referee, and ultimately there is no real sanction or there's no pressure on you beyond people you know hating you from the stands but that's what referees understand anyway uh you know to perform at a high level and i think he wants to uh he wants referees to be better and for them to be accountable for their decisions and for the refereeing the overall uh management of a refereeing to improve but if this was another manager i think we might be saying well it's a bit handy isn't it your team has played poorly you've only yeah. won twice in eight premier league games and all the focus is on referees We'd be saying, look at that guy, he's the, the master of distraction. And I think there is, to an extent, an element of that as well. Because if Arsene Wenger really wanted uh, questions about football or wanted to talk about football, I think they were there. You could ask, like, why can't your team defend? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, I, it's, 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 I mean, it's interesting. If, if that's, uh, that actually was his intention, it's, it's, it's quite surprising he hasn't sort of tried, to, tried all this before rather than kind of sh shrugging and talking about you know, spirit and quality and so on. Mm. 
he's got a bit of variety in his post game uh, <laughs> in his post game stuff. So look, what what are you expecting then on Sunday? Uh, would a win be useful for Forrest? I mean, obviously you want to win every game, but given where you are on the table, is this is the FA Cup possibly a distraction? I don't think so. I mean, uh, th- this this sounds this will sound like the the most remarkable hubris, but Forest aren't going to go down this season. I think there are there are comfortably three worst teams in the uh, in the division than Forest. Um, but we're also not going to go up, and that, 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 that this is the other slightly frustrating thing about sacking Warburton so soon. Apparently, the ambitions were to be at least close to the playoffs and I don't think that's particularly realistic at all given the mess that the club were in last season I think anything above 10th this year will be a, a, a massive bonus and I, you know, I'll be perfectly happy with the tedious mid-table so in that respect yeah absolutely I'd be absolutely be delighted with a um, beating Arsenal with a, the little cup run yeah. um, so but you know obviously I don't think that will happen even with you know uh, even if uh, Wenger Treats Forest with disdain and plays Theo Walcott, then I don't <laughs> think uh, 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 I don't think we'll quite be able to, to beat you. I think uh, I suspect it will be a relatively comfortable sort of two three nil win for Arsenal. All right. Well, look, uh, you're not taking into account our generosity and our defending at the moment, so <laughs> I'm, I think a clean sheet might be uh, beyond a bit of a stretch. But look, we'll see what happens. Nick, thanks a million, and best of luck for the rest of the season, apart from the cup, of course. You too. Thank you very much. That's Nick Miller. You can find him on Twitter at NickMiller79. That's at NickMiller79. Arsene Wenger, I'm sure, is going to ring the changes, particularly for the Carabao Cup game on Wednesday, I want to say. I think it's Wednesday, yes, uh, at Stamford Bridge. But uh, he may involve some, uh, some of the more senior players in the FA Cup on Sunday, away from home against a championship side. You can't really take anything for granted. But you've got to think there's going to be starts for the likes of uh, Danny Welbeck. There's a man who could really do with rediscovering some form. He's been brought on quite regularly in the uh, in the last few weeks in the Premier League, but he's found it difficult to make an impact in games. Uh, and I think that's as much to do with the circumstances in which he's being brought on. We're looking at him as some kind of savior from the bench. I'm not sure that he's ever really been that. But if he can find some form against Forrest. Uh, that would be uh, that would be very welcome indeed. Theo Walcott, I'm sure he'll play if he's not gone by then. There's a lot of talk about Theo going, but given the cup games we've got in the next week, I would be surprised if that were to happen. Some more game time for the young defenders, uh, Chambers and Holding. Why not? We might as well. We might as well give them this playing time, and if we can get Monreal and Koscielny back for the Premier League, then all well and good, but give these young guys a game, and we'll wait and see uh, Wait and see what kind of a team he picks to, uh, to start the defense of our cup. It is our cup, by the way. Of course, we have won it more than anybody else. James remains away, of course. He's on his, uh, his break, his honeymoon kind of thing, so we will have an Arscast Extra for you on Monday with a different co-host, Uh, Join me on Monday to find out who that is, or on Sunday, or whenever I ask for the questions, you'll find out who it is. I'm not going to record a whole podcast and then tell you, because you've got to ask the questions if you're into that kind of thing. So keep an eye out. We'll probably be recording Sunday evening, 
not long after the match itself. So uh, keep an eye out on Twitter for the call for questions if you want to get involved in that. Thank you as ever for listening. Remember to subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. If you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that will be very, very welcome as well. We'd really appreciate it. If not, don't you worry a single thing about it. We'll catch you on the Arscast Extra on Monday. Here's to a good Arsenal weekend. Some goals and a win will be very welcome. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. to the annual general meeting of referees with me, Mike Riley. Now, my minions, I have assembled you all here today so we can discuss the nefarious plan to make sure Arsenal do win the league. <laughs> Mike, Mike, turn that bloody music off, will you? You're not a supervillain, you're just a baldy trap from the Wirral. <laughs> Now, let's get on with the details of our fiendishly clever three-point plan. One, you must only ever make bad decisions against Arsenal and against no other team. That'll drive the fans mad. Number two, whenever there's any chance to give the opposition a penalty, do it. Don't even hesitate. Point to that spot. Wenger will lose his shit. He'll call you some names and we can get him up on charges like last season with Anthony. Three, we'll use all the vast resources of the Professional Game Match Officials Limited to pay off journalists and media to be part of our wide-ranging conspiracy so nobody ever finds out. It'll cost millions. It'll be such hard work, but it'll be worth it because Arsenal once again won't win the league. <laughs> now, does anybody have any questions? I see a hand there, John Moss. What is it? Um, 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 excuse me. I'm just, um, um, I'm eating this cake and it's lovely. Anyway, I was just, um, um I was just thinking, you know, wouldn't it be easier if we were all just, you know, um, Ah, shit. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it would, really. It'd be a lot less hassle than having to organise this huge conspiracy that could be found out at any moment. Right, we'll go with your idea, and we'll meet up next month to see how it's all going. Now, we're all off down the boozer. Baby Shams are on Mike Dean after his wonderful week. What would you like to drink, darling? Oh, I'd love a Baby Shams. Hey, I'd love a baby sham. 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 Baby s